Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Welcome, guys, to another episode of the podcast. So there are many great areas in life. And how we use and perceive alcohol is one of them. Today's guest is a gray area expert, executive lifestyle coach, speaker, and author that helps high performers move out of these gray areas in their lives so they can establish healthier boundaries. She is the creator of Gray Tonic and the Question the Drink, uh, the Question the Drink for Thirty program. After her own experience as a former gray area drinker, left her frustrated and confused with traditional programs, which we'll get into shortly. She wanted to create something for those in the in-between stages of complacency and thriving where so many currently live. This includes in their relationships, career, spiritually, where they generally use coping mechanisms such as alcohol. She is also the co-author of the number one best-selling Amazon book, The Successful Mind, Tools to Living a Purposeful, Productive and Happy Life. Kari Shwea, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Gosh, Simon, you make me sound like a superstar. Thank you for that introduction. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> my best. So it's a, it is a great area. And what you specialize in is, which initially started out as drinking alcohol. Obviously, there are many gray areas, but just tell us your story. Like, what, how did you get into this space to start off with? Yeah, it's such a, oh, it's such a good story. Thank you for asking. Well, like many people, um, I drank a little too much. I didn't, ever identify as being an alcoholic or severely abusing, but I knew that I was drinking more than socially. And I decided to do something about it. So I went the traditional route and of going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I think the program is a great program. It has helped a lot of people. It just was not a good fit for me. So I left the program and I worked with a coach myself And he really helped me see that there was so much besides or behind rather my drinking than what I thought it was. He helped me really unpack the reasons why I was choosing to alcohol in the first place. And then once I realized that there's this gray area that exists, this gray area drinking, I knew I had to kind of get on the top of the mountain and shout it out to everybody like, hey, there's this gray area, like you don't have to be an alcoholic <laughs> to have a problem with drinking. There's this gray area and, and everybody should know about it. So that's how I got into coaching and it really expanded since then. But that's my story. So my story is I found myself in the gray areas of drinking, but Simon, I also had gray areas in my marriage and my career with how I felt uh, spiritually, like all areas, my health even. So I've had gray areas in all of those places as many people do. Yeah. You know, you said the word alcoholic before, and it's a funny word because it's yeah. not a funny word, but it's it's such a broad term because yeah, I think it could mean different. The, the term can mean something different for everybody. So what? how do you define an alcoholic? Because I, I agree with you. I don't think you need to label yourself necessarily as an alcoholic to have a problem or to understand that you may have a problem with alcohol, which you need to address. Yes, it's such a great question. I get asked a lot of times. So I will define what a gray area drinker is, and this will help to identify the term alcoholic. By the way, in the United States, we have the National Institute on Alcohol 
abuse and alcoholism. And they talk about moderate drinking and how much is too much and all that kind of stuff. What I'm going to say is for gray area drinkers, really falls into the mild and the medium categories of alcohol abuse disorder. For me personally, when I think of what is alcoholism, that is somebody who is severely abusing alcohol to the point where they need to have it in order to survive. Now, I will say that there are a lot of people in recovery that will disagree with that and say, no, it's somebody who's abusing alcohol, period. And that's really where the lines get blurry and why there is this gray area, because there's a lot of people who don't agree with that. So there is some difference of opinions on that. So that's why I say my definition of the gray area is somebody who is drinking more than socially, but not yet severely abusing alcohol in that severe category of alcohol abuse disorder. So I hope that helps. (laughs) That that clears that up. You also mentioned, you know, the traditional programs, Alcohols Anonymous. What's wrong with them or why didn't they work for you necessarily? Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, There's a couple facts behind it. The facts are like AA, for example, was originated in 1935. And 1939 is when the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book came out. And it has not changed since then. They've had updates. But the laws and the bylaws of Alcoholics Anonymous have not changed since 1935. And it's written in, in the book as such. They're not to be changed. The, the issue that I personally have with that is that so much has changed psychologically and with science in general on how our brain works. And there's been so much more that's been developed, particularly the idea of neuroplasticity, which is the, the ability to change our thinking patterns and the way that we believe. And when we go back to 1935, Some of the practices they used worked really well, but they don't always work for everyone. And it's not more up to date based on science that we know today. We have so much more available to us than we did back then. So for me, it wasn't a good fit for a few reasons. One, I didn't identify as being an alcoholic. I did not want to say, hi, I'm Carrie and I'm an alcoholic. I believe that saying you're your truth after those two words, I am, is extremely powerful. And for me, that didn't work. And I didn't identify with that. So I needed to leave the program based on those few things for me personally. I will say, Simon, it has helped a lot of people and it will continue to help. I think it's, you try it on for size, you see if it fits, if it doesn't fit, there's plenty of other options out there for you to figure out where it is that you belong and what might help for you. So that's my take on it. Yeah. I've, I've had a conversation with someone else about this topic as well. And they're of the opinion too, that when you say I am, you're basically stating your identity, that you are that person, you're labeling yourself, labeling that's right. that person. They found it very disempowering. And so obviously yes. it didn't work for them either, you know, but you spoke about neuroplasticity. I love the concept of, being able to change, you know, the way we fire and wire our brain cells. Um, yes. You want to touch on that a little bit? Like just give us your yes. take on that and how you perhaps use that to help your clients through a process. Yeah, absolutely. So everything I do is about identity change in the terms of how we, what we believe about ourselves because your pure identity on who you believe that you are to the core is what drives your behaviors. 
So if you believe that you're one thing, then your life is going to demonstrate that with, with what's going on in your life. So for example, you know, when I decided to quit drinking, I, I didn't know what I knew now. I, I really had to learn all this. And the moment that I decided and decide is a huge word. I, as a matter of fact, it's part of my program is, is the word decide. And I break that down to an acronym, but when we decide on a new belief and we do get to change our beliefs just by deciding to have a new belief, like if you want to become somebody different, you start speaking that over yourself, you power statements, affirmations, incantations, whatever, but then your actions start to align to that new identity. So a lot of the work that I do is really looking at the thinking, understanding that those, the thoughts are creating feelings for us. And quite frankly, the reason why people look to alcohol is because they either are chasing a feeling or they're escaping a feeling. They're trying to get away from it. They're running from a feeling, which is why people do the things that they do. And then that ends up in an action. We call that the think-feel-act cycle. I refer to it as the circular thinking loop because our beliefs create our thoughts. Our thoughts create our feelings. Our feelings create um, an action. And that action produces a result that reinforces that belief. So that's why it's a big circular thinking loop. And unless we understand how our brain works, we're not going to change anything. The moment we understand this concept and we can start to make new daily decisions for ourselves, and we can make new empowering beliefs, then we can start changing our life. We need to reprogram the way that we're doing things. And that starts with habit change. But more importantly, that starts with what you believe about yourself the identity and who you wish to become. So that is the big piece of it. And that's the work that, that we do today. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I want to ask you this as well. Do you think alcohol is something that needs to be eliminated completely for most people? If they have if they have been using it in the past in excess, like to deal with issues or whether they're just relying on it for that feeling that you spoke about just now, is it something that should be eliminated altogether or have you seen people i guess change the thought process behind why they're using it and i guess just get their head around when they want to use it and how they use it which is obviously different yes yeah that is a great question i was just asked today you know can i go back to drinking and the answer is do i think i could yes i do the bigger question is why would i want to yeah so i do know a few people that quote unquote, were in recovery or that were, you know, claim themselves to be alcoholics that have gone back to drinking and have been able to do it in, I don't like to say the word successfully, but they've been doing it without having any repercussions. But I will say that that's extremely rare and not suggested. So most of my clients, you know, my program is called question the drink, not quit the drink. And it's called question the drink because I want people to feel empowered to make that decision for themselves. You know, I don't work with somebody who's severely abusing alcohol. I truly only work with those that are in this gray area. And for gray area drinkers, it's a choice to drink, period. Mm. So when someone gets to the point where they have changed their thought process they're understanding what's driving the behaviors and they've created a new identity for themselves. 99% of those people do not want to go back to drinking because it never served them in the first place. Why go back to it? My husband is one of those people. He was not a great area drinker, but once he made the decision to quit drinking, he's like, why would I want to go back? My life is so much better without it. And that's what most people find to be true. Yeah. 
you look at our society though, right? And obviously you, you're in the States, I'm in Australia. It's very similar, like Western mm-hmm. culture. It's so yeah. dominated by alcohol. Oh, there's alcohols everywhere. So yeah, in your face, everywhere. accepted socially. It's just part of, it's yep. even part of the workforce, really. Even some workplaces serve it. Yeah. It might be on a Friday yes. afternoon or, or something. So yeah, I guess... For people listening that are so that's just so ingrained, you know, it's part of their lifestyle. Do you find that when with some of your clients, the thought of actually moving away from that lifestyle and towards something else um is just unimaginable because it's just so part of the current life, like the lifestyle that is, you know? Yeah, that is that is a very difficult thing for a lot of people, which is what keeps them stuck in a gray area. And and I'll give you a really good example of this. This just happened this week. So it's fresh on my mind. And I just posted about this in my private group and on LinkedIn is I'm starting in my neighborhood, a social group for those that choose not to drink. And I said, who's interested? Let me know. And I had maybe 10, 15 people say they were interested. And one of the gals who said, yes, I'm interested. A quote unquote friend of hers responded with, oh girl, who are you kidding? Just grab your bottle of wine and come on over. And then she responded with, yeah, you're right. You know me so well. Well, what happened there was that we're back in middle school. That's how I looked at that. It's almost like bullied. It's it's like, I forgot um, what the analogy is, is the the, uh, crabs, like crabs that are in in a box and you know as soon as one gets out the other one's trying to drag the other one out it's the same thing it's like this is what keeps people stuck is they're afraid they're going to lose their friends they're afraid they're not going to have a social life and that is a very real thing that's what kept me stuck in the gray area for so long because i was like oh my gosh if i quit drinking none of my friends are going to want to be with me i'm not going to have any friends i'm not going to have a social life oh my gosh my life is going to be over right this is all the thoughts that were going through my head so it's a real thing for many people and i will tell you that that is so far from the truth because when you do decide to make that decision to quit drinking or to moderate your drinking or to cut back is you will find that most people are extremely respectful of that decision. Most people could care less that if you're not drinking and the ones that actually do question you are the ones that should be questioning their own relationship in the first place because they have a problem with their drinking. And so they're in, they're trying to convince the other person not to not to look at their own drinking because they need to have their drinking buddy. And they are too afraid to look in the mirror themselves. I found this to be true 99% of the time. Yeah, so it's more of a reflection of what that other person perceives really. And they're putting that onto you when you suggest cut down, I don't want to drink anymore. So then all their beliefs come up, all their insecurities, and then bang, they just start overlaying them on you. And then like the crab, you just get dragged back into that. Yes. Yes. It is so crazy to me. And honestly, you know, it does keep people stuck, but I will tell you the clients that I work with, you know, they are concerned about going back out, so to speak, after they've quit drinking and they're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? And I'm like, you just know what you're going to drink. Like know ahead of time, you're going to order a club soda or you're going to have, you know, a soft drink, or you're going to ask for a non-alcoholic beer or which there's plenty out there, or you can ask a bartender to make you an alcohol-free cocktail. For example, there's many options available to you. Half the time it's just having something in your hand to look like you're having a drink. And most people, I got to tell you, Simon, 
could give a flying rip if you're drinking alcohol or not. They just don't care. Yeah. Do you think you've got to replace the habit with something else? Like, I mean, to me, it's almost habitual when you're in that. And I've been through, I'll go through stages, right, personally, where I'll go through moments mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm, I've drank a lot this past month this past six months or whatever. And then I, I might just go, oh, and then it's nothing for like two or three months, you know, and then back again. Yes. So it's that constant sort of, you know, like when I feel like I'm doing too much um, or drinking yeah. too much, I'll go, right, I'm going to have a break here and I have a break. And then I might focus on like my fitness and I, I just start training harder and I start to replace that time that I would normally be socializing with, exercise and training and things like that do you find that's a pattern because that's something that i've i've really struggled to break that pattern myself yeah so everything is is based on cues and triggers so all habits by the way one of my favorite books and i think we talked about this last time when you and i were chatting atomic habits so in the yeah in atomic habits he talks so much about cues that we have a cue for example most people the five o'clock is the witching hour right? They get done with work, they're cooking dinner, whatever. That's the witching hour for most people. That's because they've associated dinner time or off work or going home. There's something, a pattern that is like, it complements, it goes together. It's like going boating and having a beer. It's like golfing and smoking a cigar, right? So we have these patterns that we've created and that becomes um, a habit, like truly becomes hardwired in our brain that that is supposed to happen when you do X. So we have these cues. So if you can start to change the cues, in other words, if your pattern has always been, you know, get off work, drive home, walk in the door and grab a beer, then you, it's beneficial to create a new habit. Maybe you're going in the back door. Or maybe you're taking a stop somewhere and going for a walk before you get home. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going to create a new habit with um, maybe having like a fun, you know, different type of drink instead of having the beer and, and going home. You have to create new patterns. But that cue is is really important. Then, of course, then we have a, the trigger. The triggers and the cues kind of go together. And then once you have that, then your mouth almost starts to water. You have this brain function of like, you can almost taste it. It's like seeing the, and they talk about this in the book. It's like seeing a plate of cookies on the counter. You Mm. know, if you walk into the kitchen and you see the plate of cookies, your brain already starts to salivate with the understanding of what the cookie is actually going to taste like. You already have this, um, you know, reward happening in your mouth. So what do you do? You go after it. You actually follow through with having the cookie and then you get the dopamine hit for fulfilling your desire to have the cookie. It's the same thing with alcohol or anything else. So creating new patterns is huge. Really, that's huge. But again, before even all of that, you have to make the decision. Who is it that I wish to be? Do I want to be the person that's coming home and doing this? Or do I want to be the person who's choosing not to. It's like a bodybuilder, for example. Here's another great example. My son competed in bodybuilding, so I know what he went through. He had to visually see himself on stage every single day for his months of training, which was several months, and it was brutally hard. But he had to see himself up on stage and say, is that champion that's on stage getting first place, would he want 
to have a cheat meal right now. Would he want to skip the gym? No, the champion chooses to live in his identity now, which creates his habits and his patterns and his behaviors of this is what I need to do in order to live out that person. Now that's a big, strong example, but that's almost what's required when we decide to do something big, like look at our relationship with the alcohol. Same thing happens with our diet, with exercise. We have to move into that person that we want to be. Your why has to be bigger than anything else. Your why is a grounding force. It's the anchor that holds you steady. It's also the momentum and the fuel that you need. Willpower isn't going to do it. Willpower is like gasoline in a car and eventually you're going to run out. You need to have this deep why as your anchor. Yeah. Can you take us back a bit then? I just want to put some context around your gray area experience and then I guess the frequency, like how often you were drinking, like what you were doing at the time as well in regards to your career and then how you were able to get yourself out of that. Like there's just the early sort of steps or the infant stages of transitioning away from that identity to carry that we know where today. Oh yeah. I was deeply unhappy. I worked at a job that I didn't care for. I was leading a a lot of people in a medical practice and I didn't like the job. I didn't like who I was becoming. Um, I didn't have any self-confidence, self-love. None of that existed for me. So I really was using alcohol as a way to escape how I felt about myself, how I felt about what was going on in the day. And I stayed in that gray area for several years. I mean, the seed has been planted. I had a few people say to me, you know, Carrie, you know, you've you've complained a few times now that you drank too much last night. Like how many more times is that going to happen before you decide to look at your relationship with alcohol? So that happened multiple times, my husband being one of them, a few of my girlfriends. And finally, a friend of mine said, there's going to be a time that you're not going to be able to quit. And I think you need to really look at your relationship with the alcohol. And it was, it was those words that really got to me. Mm. And I finally got to a place where I had my own enough. And I think every person needs to get to that place. I'm in of like, it doesn't have to be a rock bottom. It wasn't for me In my situation. It was me drinking all day on the 4th of July, big holiday here in the States. I came home that night and I was pretty much trashed. And my son said, wow, mom, you're really messed up. In which I responded with a bunch of FUs and F-offs, things that I would normally not say to my son, right? I would not, I don't talk like that to him. And I said all these things to him in which he reminded me the next day. And I was devastated. I mean, I literally started bawling as soon as he told me that at begging for forgiveness. And, and that was my enough. That's all it, that's all it took for me was having my son tell me what I re- I said to him the night before. That was my enough. That was the catapult that got me to look at my relationship. That's when I went to AA and I went down that path. I was in AA for like five months and then I worked with a coach and that's really what kind of got me into coaching and what I do today. So that was the traje- trajectory of my own path, but everybody's different. Mm. You know, I, I always tell my clients, don't wait for something to happen before you decide to take control, because drinking is a choice for gray area drinkers. And if somebody can really catch that ahead of time, you're in great shape. The gray area isn't a bad place to be. It's not a good place to be either. 
it's, you know, it's not living, it's existing. You're just borrowing time day after day. You're not living in the present when you, when you were a gray area drinker. How's your life changed? How do you compare your life to what it was? Oh, everything, relationships, lifestyle, career, just everything. Yes. How's it different? Well, you're, you're talking to a lady today that couldn't even look at herself in the mirror, let alone do a video. And now I speak in front of hundreds of people. I'm a keynote speaker. I coach. I'm always around others. Like I would never be able to do that. I had zero confidence in myself and my abilities. And so that alone, I have self-love, period. I found fulfillment. I found purpose. I found direction for my life. Um, I have more peace, internal peace. And ultimately, that's what people are looking for, Simon. I teach something called a peace index and really looking at five core areas in our life and if where we have internal peace. And that's what people are really striving for. They're not going to verbal verbalize that, that people aren't walking around like, man, I just need to really find internal peace in every area of my life. That's not something that someone's going to say, but ultimately that's what people are searching for. Whether again, it's with their personal health in some arena, whether it's with the money that they're making, the provisional part of their life, the people that they're surrounded with, the location, the house, the place that they're living in and their purpose. Like, what are they designed to do? You know, if they don't have peace over that, they're going to move into a lower state and they're going to be depressed. They're going to have anxiety. They're going to be in a place that's driving them to behaviors that don't serve them. Yeah. 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 Mentioned um, like for a lot of people, it's, I guess they would like to make more money, like have more wealth in that regard. Have, do you find like there is a correlation when people decide to stop drinking and then their ability to actually generate more wealth from your experience? <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing. So, because when I think about where I was with that job that I didn't like, yeah, I'm making five times the amount that I did yeah, just go. six years ago, five times. And I was making pretty good money then, but uh, yes. And here's why, because you have more energy, you have more clarity, you have direction, you have abundance. There is no worry about <clears throat> where things are coming from. It's like you move into a different state of mind of trust and faith and relaxation, and you know how to self-regulate and de-escalate situations. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about being present and being fully aware and going through the work that I've gone through, which is why I love to coach because everything that I teach and gone through my, I've gone through myself. Plus, you know, all, not to mention all the gazillion certifications I have, but it is one of those things where unless you go through it yourself, you can't possibly know where somebody's been you know, or where they're currently at. Like, because I've gone through all that, I've had the childhood trauma. I went to 12 different schools in nine years. I was physically and sexually abused, like all the things, right? All the things <laughs> qualified yeah. with my mess. So I think it's one of those, when people hear my story, they're like, oh my gosh, I can relate to her. I understand. Like I went through something similar or I felt that way too. You know, Simon, from the outside, people would look at me and say, She's got everything. Yeah. She's got the house. She's got the car. She checks all the boxes. So why isn't she happy? That is truly the identity of most of the people that choose to work with me is that they find themselves in that same situation. 
It's like, mm-hmm. why am I not happy? I should be happy. I have all the stuff. But yeah. they're not. Well, that's our society, isn't it? I mean, from the outside looking in, it's easy to to say, well, that person's got it together and this person's got this and that and they've got a great career. They've got the family. But ultimately, it is an inside job. I believe it's an inside job and it has to be done 100% within yourself. And I think a lot of the alcohol usage, this is from my own experience as well, is is done in secret. Like it's done privately where people can't actually... They, they don't even see it. So they don't even see that association with you as having that problem or that yeah. issue, that reliance on it, because it's your way of sort of escaping it and dealing with, with your emotions. But what I wanted to ask you was in regards to like finding this inside, this thing, this piece that you spoke about before, do you have a routine that you started doing daily or do you have one now that you just do religiously every day? Is it something that you will yeah. say, I have to do this every day. This is a non-negotiable to get myself yes. in that right frame of mind so I don't slip back to, you know, where I was 5, 10, 15. Yes. Yes. Thank you for asking. And yes, I call, it's so funny that you said non-negotiable because that's what it is. And and my clients call them non-negotiables. And, and what I refer to is putting on your daily armor. If what I do in the morning, it's like if I don't do it, I'm open and exposed for things to impact my day. When I do the things in the morning that edify me and build me up, then I have this shield of armor mm. that is a protected around me so I can deal with anything that comes my way. So here's some of the things I do. First of all, first thing I do is give thanks. I'm I'm a I'm a grateful girl. So like first thing I do is give thanks to God for having another day. I'm very grateful for that. Second thing I do is I really do meditate. I sit there in silence. Well, not in silence. I listen to a Spotify Savasana playlist. I get myself in the Zen zone and I just clear my head. I clear my mind for even for a few minutes. Then I spend time stretching, exercising. Either I'll work out, go to the gym or just stretch at home or take the dogs for a walk. One of those. And then I'll stretch out again. If I have worked out, um, I'll journal. I always journal every day, whether it's at nighttime. Sometimes I choose to do it at night so I can reflect on my day. But also what I've added in recently is checking in with myself on that piece. Where am I today with how I feel about the people in my life? Do I have any issues with anybody close to me that's bothering me? Is there something stirring inside of me that I need to look at? Is there something that I can do to, to remedy that? You know, I really take time to go through some of the, the peace areas. Like there's five areas that I look at. Is there anything in there that I need to address or that I need to work on? So it's so much self-reflection and awareness and you'll never graduate from the school of awareness. So it's like every day checking in with myself, checking in to see where am I feeling a little off? And, you know, I had a client tell me not too long ago, he's like, Carrie, does this work ever end? I'm so tired. Like it's so much work. I'm like, dude, you'll never graduate from the school. Like you will always have to do this in order for you to feel super strong about yourself and to constantly evolve and grow and expand, which I believe is our duty as humans. We need to do that. If you're not in a better place today than you were last month or last year, there's an issue. Like you need to be learning and expanding and finding ways to improve on your on yourself to become a better version of you every single week, every single year. 
And if you're not, then you're staying stagnant. You're totally in a gray area. And that's not a place you want to be. Yeah. You spoke about journaling. And I've tried yeah. it. I, I, I do it regularly. I don't probably I don't do it every day, but it's a it's a regular thing for me. And there's different things I do in regards to journaling. I might write some questions down. I might just write down what's on my mind. I might review the day and see how I went. If I'm doing it at the end of the day, what I did well and what I could do better the next day. Yeah, love how it. Do, how do you go with journaling? Like, is there a go-to sort of method for you or is it just sort of whatever's on your mind and you just blurt it out? No, I do something very similar to you. So I reflect on the day, like what, what happened great today? What were some wins? What was good? Like what happened that's good that moved the needle? What didn't go well? How could I have improved on that? Or could I improve on it next time? Is it something that that I could do? What was the learning lesson there? And lastly, and most importantly, is what am I grateful for today? Like, and that kind of goes with the wins. Like, you know, for today example, I, I met with somebody for lunch that is a colleague of mine and we really helped each other. There's, you know, you know, because he's I, he's a peer to me. I mean, we have our own businesses, but he's a peer. So we got to ex- explore different ideas and, and programs he's doing, and I help support him and vice versa. So for, for me, as I reflect back on my day, plus I had a really great uh, discovery call with somebody from, from a different country, which is really cool. So today was one of those days where I can look back and go, wow, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I had today. And I can look at those as wins. So that's a good reflection of what went well what would i like to see different what did i learn from the situation and what am i grateful for most importantly yeah Yeah, gratitude is huge that's awesome what's your why what is it like do you have it written down somewhere or do you think about it all the time how do you define that every single day my why the why i get out of bed is to receive a message from a client I don't, it depends on the day, depends on what's going. It, it doesn't even have to be a working client that I'm currently working with. It could be someone on social, just sending me a quick message going, your, your post today really resonated with me. I'm golden then for the whole entire day. That's why I get out of bed. I am here to make a difference. I'm here for a purpose. My purpose is the mess that I went through. And I feel like I was truly called to do this work. And that's my reason. If I get to change one person's life, even if it's just planting a seed and that's all I do, I'm good. I'm good. That's why I get out of bed. I want to ask you about coaches and masterminds as well, because for yeah. me personally, having coaches and being involved in not necessarily masterminds, but being in the proximity even of people who are moving in my direction or, or are going to that place that I'm aspiring to go to has been the game changer for me. It's it's enabled me to actually feel as if I'm not doing this by myself, that I've got someone holding my hand, you know, yeah. through the process. Yes. Like, and also people can see through some of the stuff that I'm doing as well. Like I might not pick that up, some of my patterns, whereas someone from the outside, a coach, for example, might go, Simon, you're doing this wrong or you're doing this. And I'm able to fix it. I can address it and then, you know, recorrect and or redirect my my effort and go again. How have you found yes. that been for you? Like, especially when you were transitioning from your career, like to this wonderful career you have now in coaching and helping other people do the same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So as soon as I left my, my former uh, career, which I loved, I quit drinking and I found another career that which was, I worked for Porsche. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, yeah. And the only reason why I left was to do gray tonic full time. Um, but as soon as I decided to make that decision to go full time in my business, I did join a mastermind. It was a four month mastermind that then I bumped up to the year long program. And so that was a game changer for me because I immersed myself into this really deep, core group of people. There was like 120 of us, something like that. And it was amazing to be around other like-minded individuals, some of them really, really crushing it already. So to be amongst people who were levels above me was so empowering. It was so good for me and showed me what was possible. So yeah, I've always, I think since then, that was the first year that was 2019. And since then I'm, I'm still in a mastermind. I'm in another year long program this year. I a hundred percent believe in coaching. I can't remember a time that I didn't have a coach on my side right now. I have my main mastermind coach, but I have a high performance coach. I have a business coach mm. and I have a mindset coach and I have a copywriting coach and I have a speak coach. All of those coaches, most of them are within that mastermind, but I just um, refined some of my workshops and my keynotes and I hired a, a, a particular speech um, coach to help me with some of that. So I believe in coaching. Obviously, I'm a coach myself, but I think everyone can really benefit from working with somebody that's been there themselves. And also coaches see blind spots that most people can't see, particularly you can't see them. So a lot of my peers are coaches themselves. So we, you know, we'll coach each other. So if I'm having a difficult day, surrounding myself around other like-minded individuals that have the same training as me, that's really helpful. Cause you know, I'm like that first mastermind, I'm still really close with a lot of people. And one of them is my daily accountability partner. So we check in every day with each other. That's really important. Yeah. What about for your belief? I found for myself, like the belief within myself, when I'm in that proximity and people are a couple of levels above me, I then start to think how possible or what the possibilities are then and actually achieving things that I've never achieved before. Do you find the same or do you experience the same feelings as well when you're in that space? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There, in my current mastermind, there are people that are just unbelievably crushing it, like crushing it. And I'm going, whoa, they are powerhouses. So yeah. obviously here's the thing. If they can do it, I can do it. And the next person can do it to show that that's possible. The first mastermind I was in Simon, I had a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like comparisonitis, <laughs> you know, like I was getting down on myself, like I've known as far as long as they are. Let me tell you something, starting your own business, it's not easy, right? You go through these periods. Like I just assumed like every brand new entrepreneur, oh, I'm going to start here and then I'm going to go there. And this is a straight line going up. No, it is the farthest thing from the truth. And now it's funny because I, I do a lot of coaching on first time business owners. And I've been asked, I've done, matter of fact, recently two podcast interviews based on what's it like to start a coaching business. So been there, done it, got it. It is it is one of those things where it's not, it's not for the faint at heart. Like <laughs> yeah. you gotta know that you're going to have some ups and downs and that's just part of it. But you know what? The ups when they're, when they're up is really good. 
And again, for me, getting out of bed is to know that I'm helping someone and I'm changing their life and not just their lives, their kids, their spouses, their business, their employees, their staff. I just did this huge day workshop and keynote for a company and to know that I've impacted those lives of the employees that possibly can impact their families. Oh my gosh, what a blessing, what a gift, what an honor. That is like, that's why I'm here. Do you prefer working like in that space, like with companies or the one-on-one space or group training? What's your favorite or favorite aspect? They're all different, I'd imagine, and they all have sort of different parts that you bring to the table. But I do. Oh gosh, that's so hard. I like it all. I love group. I like the workshops a lot because there's a lot of interaction and it's fun and it's so many people. It's engaging. Um, I do group coaching with question the drink for 30. That's it's, it's usually a smaller, like 20 people. So it's intimate and that's so lovely because then they start to bond with each other. And knowing that I helped to create those bonds is just amazing to me. And my one-on-ones, like I, you know, they invite me into their personal lives, right? It becomes a very privileged, intimate space with another human being to be in. And that's just an honor. So they all have their place. They all have a special place in my heart. Um, with all things, you know, you you get like really fond of people, you know? I mean, I have a client now, one-on-one client that's been with me a year and three months. And, you know, he's one of my favorite humans on the planet. And I just walking this walk with him and seeing him evolve and change and grow and become this amazing person who just loves, and you know, who loves me more, his wife, because I gave him back, you know, I gave him back the the man that she married. So it's like, what a privilege, what an honor for me. Yeah. That's powerful. very powerful. Yeah. It's very powerful. Yeah. We could go on. We could, we could. There's so much more I could ask you, but I'm a little bit mindful for time. I want to ask you one more question, which I ask everybody okay. comes on. So sorry if I'm going to put you on the spot here, but this is called That's the okay. Limitless Man Podcast. It's all about overcoming limitations yeah. and stepping into your. Yeah. What does it mean for you to be limitless? <laughs> no boundaries. To step out into faith and have massive courage, and to know that if you fail or fall just get back up, like fail forward. Right. It's yeah. the like, for example, I'm getting ready to train for a uh, hiking the Grand Canyon rim to rim. I'm scared to death, but you know what? If I don't at least try, how do I know that makes me limitless? And I love this by the way, cause I'm writing another anthology in a book called limitless. That's the name of the book. And my chapter is all about identity and how words matter. So to tie all that together again, I think being limitless is a state of mind and that we are absolutely, we only, the only limits we have are the ones that we put on ourselves. Cool. Love it. How do people reach out to you, Carrie? What's the easiest way? What's the best way they can do that? Uh, Well, to give a one word answer, graytonic.com, G-R-A-Y-T-O-N-I-C. On my website, you'll find all my social media channels. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. That's my jam. And I'm the only Carrie Schwer on Google. I'm so easy to find Simon. So if they can get the spelling right, you'll find me. I'm the, I'm the only I'll one. Sure, I'll make sure I spell it right in the notes. So yeah, should be should be easy for everyone. Yeah. 
it's kind of scary that I'm the only one. I like to joke and say it's like Oprah, right? I <laughs> Not really, but anyway. So it's been awesome, Carrie. Thank you so much for jumping on. And yeah, I love what you're doing. I think you're making a difference in the world. And it's just awesome to see the energy that you bring and just the joy that you get from actually doing what you're doing. That's the, that's the ultimate for me. And that's the reason why I've transitioned from a career to to this space and the coaching and the speaking and, and educating people. So it's just the joy you get. And it is an inside job. And I hope, hopefully everyone that's listening to this, at least you can think about what you've just shared with us. And if you're unhappy, well, it's fine. You're not in a bad place. You just need to identify that and move on and, and start to think about the sort of person that you want to become. So it's just been awesome. Yeah. Love, love your insights. And thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me, Simon. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.